Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. One of the challenges of having five people in a two-bedroom house is that it's hard to get any alone time, to find any space where someone else isn't already there. But about six months ago, we finally landed on a house project that provided a temporary solution. Many years ago, Nate and a friend of ours built a six and a half by 10 foot platform in our unfinished basement so that we could keep storage bins up off the dirt and rocks that turned to mud during the rainy season. You could access the platform from the main area of the basement, but you could also get there through a small door beneath our back porch. Our house was built in the 1920s, so who knows what the door was for? Any adult would have to hunch down just to get through it. But for a kid, it's perfect. One day, our kids discovered the door, and with a little rearranging and cleaning, the storage platform became a playroom. Nate slowly chipped away at the project, putting up walls to close off the space from the rest of the basement, and shielding it from the pipes and spider webs in the ceiling. Today, the room looks a bit like our life right now. A small, friendly place that can be cozy or chaotic, depending on whether or not the kids picked up after themselves. It's functional, but not glamorous. It's only four and a half feet tall, so no adult can stand up in it. The kids call it their fort. After Nate lost his job last month, we couldn't justify spending money on materials, so Nate reached out to the neighborhood. The fort is visual evidence of the generosity we've received during this time. The walls of the fort are patched together plywood, and the floor is a mishmash of carpet scraps and throw rugs, all donated by neighbors. It's inviting in its way, and there's space for the things the kids care about. A dollhouse and dress-up clothes, a bookshelf of Legos lit by Christmas lights. It's a place for them to dream up plans that don't include us. A room that is all their own. If they had it their way, they'd be there all the time. But for as excited as the kids are about the fort, they've been less than enthusiastic about taking part in its construction. The lone exception to that is our youngest, Matea, who would rather help Daddy with the power saw than play with her babies. This past weekend, while Nate was measuring scraps of plywood, Matea saw him with a power drill, which he was using with the screwdriver attachment, and immediately wanted to get in on the action. Matea weighs 28 pounds. That drill probably weighs 15. Before Nate could stop her, she lunged for it. I do it, she yelled angrily when Nate tried to take the drill from her. We often refer to Matea as our three-nager, but she still looks like she's about 18 months old. She didn't have hair for the first year of her life, and she's short, so she still looks like a baby. Strangers are often stunned when full sentences come out of her mouth. Pretty much anything her big brother and big sister can do, she can do too. Back when she went to preschool, the teachers all called her Chica Grande, Parents with multiple kids are familiar with this phenomenon. 
only at the point when you're too overwhelmed with life to help your younger children the way you did with your oldest, do you realize the extent to which you underestimated what one small child is capable of? Matea tried and tried to pick up the drill, to put her tiny hands on it and make it work, her frustration mounting. Finally, Nate worked out a system that she could accept. He held the drill and she put her hands on top of his. Then she called out, one, two, three, go! And they put each screw in together. I watched them do this over and over again. Matea never got tired of it. She was so proud of herself. She had no idea how little of the work she was actually doing. These past few weeks, I've felt a bit like Matea. I've tried to lift heavy burdens that outsized me. It's hard to accept that I can't do it all by myself, that I need help from others. It's been a time of putting my hands on the hands of others, realizing over and over again that I can't do this alone. I've talked a lot about generosity and gratitude in past episodes, and none of my feelings about those things have changed. But being on the receiving end of generosity has been harder than I expected it to be. Sometimes I forget that even as a grown-up, I still need help. I think deep down, there's a part of me that thinks, sure, when I was in my 20s, it made sense that I needed help. But at 41 years old, I should have arrived. I should be grown up and established enough by now to not need anyone else to give me a hand. I shared this with my friend Elena recently after she told me that she and some other mamas from our school wanted to deliver a meal once a week to our family. Elena is a single mom from El Salvador, and for years her side hustle has been cooking soups and meals for others. Her offer made me cry because I felt overwhelmed with gratitude and love for my community. For the past couple of weeks, it's been the best thing we've eaten, something to look forward to. Every time I say thank you, Every time, Elena says some version of the same thing. This is just how we do things. We take turns taking care of each other. On my birthday a few weeks ago, a friend dropped off a gift card that got us through two weeks of groceries. Some other friends pulled together cash so I could replace the threadbare running shoes I'd been wearing for months because a new pair felt like an expense too frivolous to justify. This past week, the mother of one of my childhood friends sent me a note and a check saying that when her own mother died recently, she left her some money and she wanted to share a little bit of that with me to support the work I was doing. So many of you have taken the time to write kind reviews on iTunes to share this podcast with friends. Some of you have gone above and beyond posting enthusiastic recommendations on social media or connecting me with someone you think I should talk to for a future episode. You're all dealing with your own struggles and challenges right now, and yet you've made shelter in place a part of your daily rhythm. You've reached out, extended kindness, been generous again and again. 
And then a week ago, some dear friends reached out to say that they'd like to provide some childcare for us if we'd accept it. They suggested having someone with a short contact list come from 9 to 3, Monday through Friday. Enough time for Nate and I to get some work done, but still have time with the kids. I was stunned by the enormity of this offer. It felt like too much. The offer came after many weeks of Nate and I feeling sunk by the daily challenge of becoming new business owners while also trying to teach and parent our children. We weren't sleeping enough, often working late into the night after the kids were asleep because it was the only time we could find to get things done. We knew our son in particular needed special help with his homework, but we couldn't figure out how to give him that help because we were spending so much time mediating fights, teaching basic obedience, trying to just make it through another day. We were missing things, dropping the ball left and right, both in our own lives and with the kids' schoolwork. Our work was becoming less and less efficient because we were exhausted by the time we got to it. We were missing important calls with extended family because we'd lost track of the days. Our interactions were becoming increasingly negative as we tried and failed not to lash out at each other and the kids. It felt like life was one vicious cycle where each misstep dug us further into the hole we'd been living in for weeks. I mentioned the generous offer to another friend who grew up in India and moved here in high school. She listened to me talk about how guilty I felt, how it felt unfair to say yes to something so generous when plenty of people we knew were without childcare, and also how even just thinking about saying yes felt like this giant release. I thought she would say something about how we should just keep toughing it out. Or maybe that we should accept the help and then pay it back later. But instead, she said something that had never occurred to me. It's such an American problem, she said. None of my Indian friends would hesitate to accept help from their community. This is just what we do. It was the same thing Elena had said. The same thing so many of our Filipino friends said to us during our year of living in Manila, which I talked about in episode 22. Many of the women we worked with in Manila were single mothers. They would work hard making jewelry or cards or doing house cleaning or catering, but often when they got paid, they'd use only a small portion of that money for themselves. There was always some neighbor who needed help, someone who lost a loved one and couldn't pay for the funeral, they would further impoverish themselves to help others. Living together, depending on one another, was a deep cultural value. It was just how they did things. I know, of course, that my country was built on individualism. I do it. It's the American dream, how we're trained to see the world. There's pride in pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and knowing that no matter how hard you had it, you did it all by yourself. It's not that I've never questioned that narrative. But I'm realizing in a new way that it's a false one. Everything good in my life came from somewhere or someone. 
And also, an existence where we think we don't need each other is a lonely one. How do we ever think that going it alone was better than having a little help from our friends? After a few days of discussing it, wrestling with our conflicted feelings, we said yes to our friend's generous offer. We asked around and found a preschool teacher who'd lost her income when this all began, who desperately needed the work and had a short contact list. We expanded our circle of five to six. We still hope that we can pay back our generous friend eventually. Having our teacher friend here hasn't been a silver bullet. The kids are still getting used to the idea, and there's a lot of daily negotiation in the transitions. But it has made a difference. Nate and I are fighting less, teaming up together better than we have in a long time. We're feeling hope even on the dark days. Our kids are speaking Spanish again, something we'd struggled to keep up during this time. And maybe most importantly, we have a daily reminder of how much we need our community, how sunk we'd be without it. Every day I feel guilty for accepting the gift, but also deeply grateful. And still, I feel like Matea sometimes. It's hard to admit that I need this much help right now. When I reached out to Elena to ask her if she minded me mentioning her in this episode, she finally told me who those other mamas were from our school. I want to thank them by name now. So thank you, Elena, Annie, Tala, Sarah, Senheet, Rebecca, Kirsten, Jen, Tracy, and Mita. You are modeling to me what this world could be. A place where we take care of each other when life is hard. Where we understand that anything we accomplish is by putting our hands on the hands of others doing the real work, calling out together, one, two, three, go. If you've enjoyed today's episode of Shelter in Place, the best way you can support it is to subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes so others can find it too. Shelter in Place is sponsored by Brick and Mortar and Delta Wines. I am so grateful to be sponsored by a small local business that isn't just committed to making great wines, but to making this world a better place. Get 10% off your order when you use the promo code SHELTER at brickandmortarwines.com or winesforchange.com. When you buy wine, you support this show and also other businesses that are working toward more sustainable living. The Shelter in Place music was composed by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions, and the Shelter in Place artwork was created by Sarah Edgel. Until tomorrow, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis.